Through Jesus, that is you. That's um, so true, so powerful. Let me just... Get myself set up. Brilliant. Well, great church. Great to be back with you. We're away for a week, um, just over last weekend, and down with some friends and family in Warrnambool. So we got to actually uh, catch up with Steve Brown, who was our camp speaker from last year from Syrian Hill Church in Geelong. So we went down there because also it was um, Joe and Tony's Danielle's, their 21st. So we went down there for that. And I caught up with those guys uh, last Sunday, so it was terrific to be there. But now we're back today, and uh, we are into a new short sermon series over the month of January, um, looking at uh, gospel in life. Gospel in life, you might have seen the video on Facebook uh, we put up the other day. And we want to see how where the gospel actually impacts us through the various stages of life. And uh, we'll be looking at, over the next few weeks, gospel in work today. Uh, gospel and family next week, and then gospel and music on the last Sunday of January. And just for a bit of heads up to let you know where we're going also in February, we'll start another series then, which will be a bit longer. Uh, we're going to look at the book of Jeremiah from the Old Testament. We're going to step our way through that. It's going to take about 11 or 12 weeks, and I think that'll be really important for us to see uh, what God reveals to himself of us, uh, of himself, sorry, through the Old Testament, particularly the book of Jeremiah. So we're going to start that in February and then just sort of roll through 11 or 12 weeks uh, looking at that. But today uh, we are in uh, gospel in work, gospel in work. Um, You might have heard this saying before, uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Some of you heard it, some of you haven't heard it. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Does work have to be like that? Does work have to be like that where it just supposedly, according to the saying, makes us dull? All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the gospel really does speak into work and transforms us at work to work in such a way that it is a worship before God and glorifies him and is an opportunity to show his greatness through our lives. Uh, And before I forget too, if you have any questions from today's talk, we'll take some questions at the end as well, uh, if you have any. But if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. And you're saying, we've spent a lot of time in Ephesians over the last few months. Um, We did, we did the sermon series on spiritual warfare, but this passage again just comes out of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're just going to read verses uh, 5 through to 8. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free." Father, we give you thanks and praise today that we can come and open up your word. Now we ask, Holy Spirit, please open up our minds to understand what is happening here as Paul speaks to the Ephesians here about employees, work, workers. Lord, I pray just help us to see today how the gospel really, truly does come and transform every aspect of who we are and very much so in the way we think about work. 
Uh, So Lord, we ask this now and pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a world today that in some respects thinks that the ultimate in life is to retire and to never have to work again. That's like the ultimate in life. It's though work in one way is, is this thing that's stopping you from the real enjoyment of life. This work sort of this thing you've got to do for so many years and it's stopping you from getting to the real part of life, which is that retirement, a time when you can do as you like and not have to punch any time clock or be at a certain place at a certain time. That's what they often will tell us is the ultimate in life. But on the other hand, it's actually your work that generally gets you to that point of being able to perhaps have that carefree lifestyle. Uh, Some people are out there looking for that ultimate job or career in life as well. They've got eyes that are constantly looking for the dream job of pure enjoyment and total satisfaction in everything you do. That is some people's ideals here of work or a job. They want to work with complete fulfilment and purpose. Uh, work also is a very dominating part of our lives, if we think about that. We just we can't deny that. Uh, reading earlier this week, I saw some statistics, and it come from 1890. A few years ago, the US government began to track the manufacturing industry workers uh, on the job, so how much time they were spending on the job. Uh, and when I read that, the average in 1890 was absolutely staggering when I saw what they were doing. They were averaging back then 100 hours a week at work. Sort of mind-blowing, isn't it? 100 hours a week at work. That's roughly six days a week at about 17 hours a day. That's massive. Actually, it sounds insane, doesn't it, when you think about it? In the early 1900s, we then saw the introduction of a 40-hour standard work week. A big come down from 100 hours a week they were doing 30, 40 years earlier, which is eight hours a day, five days a week, and many of us know that, although also now there's 38-hour weeks and there's 36-hour weeks and there's a whole range of things. The average working male will spend about 10 years continuous of his life working. That is, for roughly 45 years, he will work 48 weeks of the year at, say, 40 hours per week. So in that 45 years of his life... A third of that will be at leisure, a third of that will be at work, and a third of that will be sleeping, so you can go back to work the next day. Uh, It's any wonder that people want to retire when they see how such a dominating part of life that work is. But as we think about that today, I want us to ask a few questions as we think about this thing, work, which we all are intimately involved with in some way, shape or form. Is work really meant to be this difficult and hard? Should I avoid hard work? Why does the work I have have this pain or futility associated with it from time to time? What does God say about work? How does the gospel redeem and transform the work I'm involved in? And how can I work in such a way that God is made to look glorious through my job or the work I do? Let's jump into that and let's have a look at what the Bible's got to say here about work. Well, firstly, we've got to see that God created work and it's a good thing for us to do. We've got to get that firmly in our minds that God created work and it's a good thing for us to do. Genesis 2.15 tells us that. It says here, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That's Adam, the first created male. In the created order, by of life, by God, we are designed to work. 
We are designed to work. God gave life to Adam and God placed him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Now we're not exactly sure what he was doing in the garden, most probably trimming back a few branches there and just keeping the paths clear, possibly. We can safely assume though, we can safely assume he wasn't pulling any weeds out of the garden at that particular point in time, because this is before the fall. He's maybe just trimming back some branches, but not pulling any weeds. Uh, Can you imagine not having to contend with weeds in your garden? Would make gardening very pleasurable. Jan's nodding her head already. Gabby's been growing a few vegetables at the back, but she put all this weed mat down. And have a guess what? Any little crack in the weed mat? What do you think pops up? Up it comes. No weeds would be like heaven, wouldn't it? Work isn't a dirty word. Work isn't a bad thing. Work is actually a good thing that God has created for us to do. God has ordained that we be useful with our hands. Do something with our hands. And he's ordained that we be fulfilled in work as well. It says in Psalm 104, 23 this, Man goes out to his work and to his labour until the evening. Work is a very natural part of life. We are created to work. And if you think about it, often, often we we derive great enjoyment and satisfaction from the work that we do. I can remember quite a few years ago doing very long hours on a tractor and a slasher cutting grass in our orchard. Now, I would go up and down every row and do two runs and cut all the grass that side and cut all the grass that side and just keep doing my pattern the whole way around. And I'd get to the end of the block, which could take two or three or four hours, and I'd drive back along that block and I'd be looking sideways, thinking, hmm, that looks pretty good, everything's neat and trim. You just felt good about what you are doing. You actually felt satisfied, fulfilled. You cleaned it all up and it looked good. And I'm sure an electrician, if they're on the building site, Wiring up a house, they're putting in switches here and power points over there and lights in the ceiling, that all feels great. Then all of a sudden the power gets connected and they flick on the power switch and everything works. You come away and you feel satisfied. You feel fulfilled. You feel complete. I've done something and you feel good about it. Or you could be working with a team of people and maybe at an elderly person's house and cleaning up their yard and just tidying things up for them and helping them do things they couldn't do. And in that sense of teamwork there, when you finish that job and you look around, you, see, you feel a sense of completion and contentment in the work that you've just done. Work is a really, really good thing. God has de- designed for us to derive, as it were, purpose and satisfaction and achievement and fulfilment in our lives when we work. Part of ourselves being made in the image of God is to be creative and useful with our hands in work to do this. So work plays this significant role in our lives that God has ordained as the natural rhythms of life. We must never think of work as bad or as a dirty word as some people may like to think of it as. Work is a good thing that God has designed for us to reflect his image back into the world where we now live. If only though, if only work could remain this enjoyable task that we always find fulfilling and satisfying for us. If only I could jump out of bed so eager to get to work today and do all the things I've got planned on and just get in there quickly, clock on, and excitedly look forward to all those things I want to get achieved for the day. If only. But it's not like that, is it? It's not like that. Sometimes when the alarm goes off, work is a dread to us. Sometimes we want to smash that alarm right beside us when it goes off. 
I don't want to go today. Actually, I just want to quit my job. Sometimes are the thoughts that sort of go through our mind when that alarm goes off. And sometimes when I'm at work, I'm sure my watch slows down. I'm sure of it. Because I look at it at 9.30 and then I work another 25 minutes and I look at my watch and it says 9.35. I'm sure I've worked 25 minutes, but I've only gone five minutes. It seems like an eternity. Isn't that true for us sometimes? Work is like that. Why is that the case? Why is that the case? Now, I know this can happen in degrees and we can go through seasons of work. For some of us, we may go through really long periods of enjoying everything we're doing. We can embrace every day and it's great and it's fantastic. For others, though, we can't remember the last day we've actually enjoyed at work. It does go in degrees and it does go in seasons. That's how work can be sometimes. So why is work like that? Why is it sometimes that I am bored witless in my job? Well, when Adam and Eve rejected God's rule over them, God judged them with punishment. With punishment. And part of that punishment was that the world they lived in would be subjected to futility and frustration. Futility and frustration now uh, because of their rejection of God's rule over them. Work is now broken by sin. It's broken by sin. Come with me again back to Genesis uh, 3, 17 and 19. We see that. And it says there, and this is God speaking to Adam. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Take note of these words. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God says to Adam, you'll work the ground... You, you, just like you did before in the Garden of Eden, you'll work the ground, but now you'll have, to, you'll have to contend with thistles and thorns. By the sweat of your face, by pain, you will now engage in this work. The dimension of work has radically changed. Because we've forsaken God and gone our own way in life, God has now subjected this world we live in to pain in everything that we do, degrees of pain, seasons of pain, as a vivid reminder, something is now broken. Something is broken. And Adam and Eve would have known that firsthand. They would have been in the Garden of Eden. It was just the Garden of Eden. Perfect. And now he's out there by the sweat of his face, with pain, contending with thorns and thistles. And he's thinking, why is that? Oh, that's right. I rejected God and I ate of the tree. That's why we now live in this world, subjected to futility and frustration. And we all experience that. If I go back again to my orchard background, some years we've laboured really, really hard to produce the fruit, the produce of the ground. We'll be working hard against weeds that are trying to choke out our fruit trees. They're growing up and trying to choke out the growth of the trees. We'll be spraying against all sorts of pests and diseases trying to attack our fruit and make it fall on the ground. We'll be doing all sorts of things to stop spring frosts from freezing our fruit. We're working hard against these things in pain and by the sweat of our face. And other years we'll be applying extra water onto our trees because they're suffering and are dry thirsty in a hot, dry drought. All these things are against us. And sometimes we've done all that and overcome a fair majority of those things 
and got the fruit all the way to the point of harvest, like within a few days we're going to pick, and we're sitting in our kitchen, we watch these big black clouds just roll over the top, and it just pelts down hail and just cuts up our fruit. That's what it's like sometimes. There's futility and there's frustration. Often our work is really hard. We put in our very best efforts and sometimes it seems futile and pointless. You could be the same person maybe putting a presentation together for your management. You've got a PowerPoint organised, you've got all the facts and the figures put down, you've actually put it all in nice graphics, you've got it all set up and you spend a lot of time trying to think of every detail, every possibility. You put it all together in this package and you bring it along to your management and they take two minutes and say, no, we don't want that. And you think, what did I just do the last two weeks of putting this presentation together for? Sometimes it just seems futile and it just seems pointless. Our rejection of God has made work a place at times of toil and difficulty. The hardship of work, they can also go deeper than just that. Sometimes we can be abused and exploited by others around about us at work as well. Sometimes we should be logically the next person who should be in line for that promotion to go up to the next uh, position available in the company. But because of a couple of relationships outside of our control, we get totally overlooked. And we're the logical one to go there, but because of these other relationships, no, we're going to just sort of not what you know, it's, it's who you know sort of thing. You feel exploited, you feel abused. Uh, and there's numbers of people around Australia who actually are paid below award wages. You'll see a number of these contractors bringing in overseas labour and they're just getting paid sometimes five or six dollars an hour. They're exploited at work, that happens. This makes work hard, pointless, frustrating, boring, demeaning and painful at times. And all of this pain and frustration in work is a result of our sinfulness in rejecting God and his ways for our lives. So what is work now? It's a mixture of pleasure and pain. Our mindset is totally different because we take this broken mindset into a broken world, into a broken work situation and our thinking and attitude towards work is different. It's broken. Some of us may look at work as a place to fulfil us totally and completely. Like that's what work is all about. It's the ultimate in life. We try and find our identity in our work or our career. We try and make work it. If I can land that job, if I can just get that position, then I'll have the status that will actually make me feel fulfilled. I've reached the position of manager or general manager of the company. Then people will really see who I am. It then becomes my work is my job is who I am. Work is not designed to be like that. And see what happens then if we don't get that position or if we don't get that place in work that we want, we don't get the status we're looking for that work will hopefully give me, we'll very often then move to another job trying to seek that position or trying to seek that status in life. And this is one of the reasons why we get so many job changes or career changes in life. I was reading again uh, earlier this week. The average person uh, changes jobs 10 to 15 times in a lifetime. Now, m- many don't, but many do actually way more than 10 to 15, but the average is 10 to 15 times you'll change your job through your lifetime. Now, on average, we don't go any more than about five years at a job. Often, often people are looking for that next step up. If I can just get that position, I'll get that status. 
Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to change jobs. Sometimes there's really, really good reasons for taking on a better opportunity. Go for it. That's a good thing. But sometimes the result is it's just the brokenness and the futility of work in our own hearts and what we're trying to get out of work. We get so bored, we just want to move to the next job. Maybe that will fulfil me. Sometimes work is affected like that. But is that it with work? Am I just resigned to gritting my teeth and just toughing it out, work all my life? Do I just grip my teeth and say, I'll just get through this? Is that it? Or am I just waiting for that final bell when I hit maybe 65 or whatever the next retirement age is, 67 and a half or something? Am I waiting for that final bell? I can say, right, I'm out now, I'm done. Is that all we do? Is Is that what work's about? Or do we say, what does the gospel then tell me about work? Or how does the gospel then transform me through my work? Let's think about that. Work is now transformed by the gospel. It's really paramount. It's critical to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. That one there. Jesus changes everything. It's most important that we see that every sphere of life, every sphere of life is renewed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit takes the truth of the gospel and works it deep down into our lives to produce life-altering transformation. And work is absolutely in this picture of life-altering transformation that the Holy Spirit does through the message of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Have a look at this passage here with me in uh, 1 Corinthians. Very familiar, but very, very powerful. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, it's a really big word there, that whatever, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's a key foundational verse that if lived out will radically transform your life and mine. That whatever you do obviously includes work. Whatever encompasses everything. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. As we turn from sin, as we put our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, and what he's done for us at the cross, as we do that, the Holy Spirit takes that life-changing truth and changes the way we think, changes the way we see, changes the way we view everything. We see our lives now, including work, in a whole new, different light. Yes, it's broken, but we see it through a new set of eyes. Now our work or job or career is not about me, but it's about bringing glory to God. Because whatever you do, you do for the glory of God. Now my job is about bringing glory to him. Now my work is about making God look precious and like a treasure. That's what my work is all about now. That's what my job is all about. I have this new mindset. Work isn't primarily about me climbing up the promotional ladder and me looking great. There's nothing wrong with getting promotions and climbing up the ladder, but it's not primarily about that. I don't do it for my benefit first. The gospel now tells me work is first and foremost about making God look great, making God look glorious in my life. And this is the way Paul says it here to the Ephesians. Read with me in Ephesians 6, 5 and 8. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart 
as you would Christ. So Paul's giving instructions here on how their work should look. He says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Now you might be all sort of saying, what is a bondservant? I've never heard of that word before. A bondservant, really in Paul's language, is just an employee or a worker. That's what Paul's talking about there. So let's look at how Paul sees the gospel here applying to work. Paul says it's a heart attitude. It's a heart attitude. He says there, a sincere heart. From a sincere heart, it's a heart attitude when it comes to work. He says, from a sincere heart, do your work as you would be doing it for Jesus when you're working for your employer. Do it from the heart as you would do it for Jesus. Don't just do your best work when the cameras are on you or the boss is looking at you or whatever. Do your best work when they're not around. Do your best work all the time. Don't just do it to sort of catch their eye at the right time. Paul's saying the heart will actually want, a new heart in Christ will want you to do work right the way all the time, not only when they're looking. And the last part of verse 6 there, Paul says that this is the will of God. This is God's commandment to us. This is God's instructions for us to work now transformed by the gospel, to do it from a heart that is genuine and sincere. To take it further, I think we've got to see also that our work is actually an expression of worship. Our work is an expression of worship. When I'm at work, I'm working as though I'm working for God and it becomes this expression of worship towards him. When I'm at work, I'm showing my gratitude and my thankfulness for the job that Jesus has given me in and through worship. When I'm at work, I'm showing my thankfulness and gratitude for the salvation that Jesus has purchased for me. It's through work it can be shown. You may be asking me right here and now, how am I showing this worship? How am I showing this? How am I worshipping God in my work? Aren't I just pouring coffees for the customers as they come in? Isn't that just what you do? Well, aren't I just you know, sitting on the computer just punching in data? How is that worship? Well, aren't I just mowing lawns for my boss? Aren't I just doing as I told? How was that really worship? How does that fit? I thought worship was on Sunday morning when your hands were raised and the music was playing. Look in verse 7 again. Paul helps us here. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. See what it says there? Rendering service with a good will. Rendering service with a good will. That means doing my job, that's rendering my service. That's the service I'm required to do. Doing my job, all my work, whatever it is, cheerfully, diligently. Rendering my service, my job, my work with a good will, with cheerfulness and with diligence. Achieving my work, rendering my work with a good attitude and thoroughness. My work is worship to God. The way I live and the way I carry out my work is an act of worship. In front of my employers, I'm worshipping God. Here's how we see it work in Proverbs. That says here in Proverbs 6.6, 6, 
Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Now, I've got to confess here one thing when I read that passage earlier this week. All I could think of was a Monty, Monty Python sketch. Oh, you sluggard. <laughs> sort of not, yeah, it sort of just grabs you when you read that for the first few times. Now, I'm not about to call anybody here a sluggard, okay? Nobody will be called a sluggard. But he's certainly referring to somebody who's lazy or slothful or uh, lethargic. Somebody who turns up and who does the least amount possible. You know, if there's six brooms over there and there's seven people, they'll hold right back until the six brooms are gone. Oh, gee, what do you know? All the brooms are gone. Don't do that. People are happy to go slow and let others pick up the slack and they're, oh, well, it doesn't matter. We're told in Proverbs to consider the ant as a guidance and instruction here about work. What do ants do? Go and inspect an ant next next time and just sit there and look at it for a while. It'll be pretty hard to focus, I can assure you that, but you'll be struggling to find one ant standing still. They are just hurrying and scurrying to and fro. It's like a four-lane freeway going backwards and forwards. They are just always on the go in diligence. We first lived in a house in Rupner about 20-odd years ago. I remember one night I got up to get a drink of water and I turned the light on and we had ants in our house. And it was like three in the morning and here's these ants going flat out. And I'm thinking, do you guys ever sleep? Oh, sluggard, consider the ant. They're diligent, they're industrious, they're working. This is what God's instructing us here through Proverbs. They're on the go. Paul says it again in 1 Thessalonians uh, 9 to 12, uh, chapter 4, 9 to 12. Read with me. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now the Thessalonians had an issue back then. They thought the Lord had already returned. So a lot of them actually chucked in their jobs and they were just sort of sitting down just waiting for the trumpet to call and the clouds to roll back and in he come. Paul says, no, 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 Thessalonians. Go to work. Be industrious. Do something with your hands. And why does Paul say that? Why does he tell them to go back to work and be industrious? Do something with your hands. He says, work diligently there so that your life properly reflects the gospel to outsiders. To outsiders. To the unbelievers. Let your work as worship to Jesus be something that people see where they can see that you are worshipping God through your work. So we can live properly before our side. This is the will of God for us, to work with diligence and cheerfulness as a reflection of our worship before him. How then should we work? How then should we turn up for work? How does the gospel shape and transform our work? How do we do this practically? Well, here's a few tips. Firstly, we should be well rested up for work. Absolutely. We should be well rested up and full of energy, ready to work. We want to have the right amount of energy for our employer to give our best. Don't expect to burn the candle at both ends and keep rocking up to work with about four hours sleep, thinking you'll be able to give your best for your employer. That won't happen. The right thing to do to worship God through our work is to be well rested up 
ready for work, doing our best there with the God-given energies that he's given to us. That's the right thing to do for our employer. We should be punctual for work. We should be punctual for work. If work is at 8am, at the very latest, at 7.59, we are walking through the door of our work. Because if you turn up at 8.03 or 8.05 or 8.07, what's that telling the employer? I don't really care all that much about work. If we're worshipping Jesus through our work, at 7.59, we are on time for work, or whatever time it is. If it's 9 o'clock, it's 8.59. Punctual for work. We should also make every effort to have a cheerful attitude amongst everybody at work. We should come with a disposition, as it were, to promote a joyful and pleasant workplace because of the joy that Christ has placed within us. It'll be difficult in some scenarios, but we should ask for the Spirit's power to enable us to come with a disposition of cheerfulness and joy into the workplace to promote a pleasant workplace to be at. We should work with our employers and our workmates with their best interests at heart, coming along to love these people, these people we work alongside. The gospel transforms us and shapes us now to love these people and to worship God and to do this with their best interests at heart when we come to work. That's what the gospel does. We seek to work for the prosperity of the business we're in. Do we want to keep our jobs? Absolutely. Well, most of the time we do. Let's work diligently so the business is prosperous. That is worship before God. Here's one that's probably left field. Mums working at home. Legitimate work. Really important work. Mums working at home work with a real attitude of privilege. Privilege. You get the privilege to stay at home and to raise a godly home and have a godly house. Working mothers at home um, is a privilege. See, all of that living shaped by the gospel allows us for worshipping Jesus Christ, our King at work. Our work is an act of worship. We've got to see that. And this is the grace of the gospel. This is the renewed mind that the gospel gives us freely. And you see, this goes even further though as the gospel transforms us to be worshippers through our work, this now then translates to our workplace to being a mission field. A mission field. We are then praying for our worship to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ to our workmates so we can share Jesus. We want to tell them the good news that he has brought to us. That Jesus Christ himself has come to rescue us and save us so that we can be renewed in him, have glorious relationship with him, and then let that gospel transform us to our work colleagues. We want it to be a mission field where we can now share that joy with others through work. Listen to Jesus' words today as we close. He says this in John 5, 17. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now and I am working. My father is working now and I am working. Jesus is still working today. He is working to rescue and transform lives. He has not given that up. He's still working today. And why is he still working? Well, Jesus tells us again when he says this to the Father in verse 4 of John 17. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus comes to glorify the Father through his work. And that's the same call on us today, is to bring glory to God through the work that he's given us today. 
So I ask these questions. Where is your work up to today? Where are you up to in your work? Is work all about you and what you can get out of it? Is it all about you climbing up the ladder of promotion and not giving a rip about anybody beside you? What is your attitude to work? What do others see of Jesus in you at your work? Or, or are you letting the gospel of grace radically transform you from the inside out so that your work is now an act of worship that glorifies God? Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you to thank you and to praise you for your goodness, Lord, through the gospel and how the gospel works in our life and particularly so in our work. Lord, it's such an important part of our lives, such a dominant part of our lives as well. Uh, We pray today that, Holy Spirit, you would take the truth of the gospel and let it move into every room of our lives, particularly the room we call work. And to see, Lord, that our work is a place of worship. Sure, it's really, really hard and it's really, really difficult, but I pray that you'll enable us today to let that gospel and your power work through to transform us so that we will work for your glory and for your good. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before Joe comes up, any questions um, from that? Um, in Proverbs, there's a few of those. Yeah, I don't will let you to um, open your mind up to just all sorts of crazy temptations and whatnot. In Thessalonians, it says, if you don't work, you don't eat. So if someone doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. I didn't quite go there, but that's um, Paul saying, hey, just get going and do something. Neville? Yep, absolutely. God provides some resources and finances through work and then we're able to then give back and to others who are in, in need. Totally. And Paul used that as, in, as an example in his own life where he said that he works and he works and he works so that he can continue to preach the word. Right? Yep. He was doing that and some, um, Doug was saying that Paul was um, bivocational when he was as an apostle. Uh, he was not wanting to be a burden on some churches that were in a very lower state, so he kept making tents, building tents, and then still doing the, the work of the apostle at the same time, so absolutely. Thanks, Joe. You come and lead us around the community table. I think uh, Jerry and Marlene not here today, so Ruan, Dad's going to fill in. Good on you, Ruan. Thanks, Joe. Todd. Okay. Um, So communion is basically remembering what Jesus has done for us and then also being deeply grateful to him for what he has done. So that's fairly easy, we think. And we can do that well today. Um, We've been 
praising him in song and we've been turning our thoughts to Jesus during the sermon. So it's, you know, our hearts and our minds are quite full and, you know, it's quite easy to do now is to um, remember Jesus and what he's done for us. This is good. But what happens, however, on Tuesday when our lives are so frantic and rushed? What happens when the opposite is true and we have too much time on our hands and we let unhelpful thoughts into our head? You know, things like envy, ungratefulness, fear. Insert your pet negative in thought into here. Um, we need to commune with God every day, not just today on Sunday. We need to remember what Jesus has done and to be grateful. And this is obviously primarily his sacrifice on the cross, but also many, many things that we take for granted. What about the very ability to take a breath? Eat food each day. Work in a job or at home. And even to thank God that today I was able to be kind to someone. We can only do that through Christ. Ephesians 6 verse 6 says, Doing the will of God from your heart. God knows that this will do us untold good if we do the will of God from our heart. And we'll do well to remember Jesus every day, to be grateful to Jesus every hour, and to commune with our God. Thank you. Okay. All right. And Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Thanks, Joe. Just as the musicians uh, come back to uh, finish for the song, uh, guys, if any of you would like some prayer or would like to catch up with me after the service... Yeah, I'll be down the front here, so please uh, come down and, and um, certainly we'll be available for that. Thank you. We'll just um, close with a song and then uh, finish from there.